0: Many individuals and organizations are hunkering down in the midst of the current coronavirus crisis and economic upheaval, but the essential trait for leading a business, a community, or a country through any crisis is vision. Author and business strategist Mark Johnson joins us to discuss his new book, Lead from the Future, on this episode of Therefore What? Therefore What is a weekly podcast that breaks down the news while breaking down barriers, challenges you in the status quo, explores timely topics and timeless principles, and leaves you confident to face what's next. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor for the Deseret News, and this is Therefore What. Mark Johnson is co-founder and senior partner of InnoSight, a strategic innovation consulting and investing company, which he co-founded with Harvard Business School professor, the late Clayton Christensen. He's been a strategic advisor to both Global 1000 and startup companies across the country and around the world. And we are very excited to have Mark join us. Uh, his new book, Lead from the Future, How to Turn Visionary Thinking into Breakthrough Growth with his co-author, Josh Suskowitz uh, Mark, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Boyd. It's
1: great to be here.
0: Well, when I uh, when I saw the title of your book, I immediately said, "We've got to do a podcast with Mark." And uh, the timing of your book is just perfect. And the, the substance of it is so rich. There's so many applications uh, that I just want to dive uh, right in. And I will warn everyone, this may be a four hour podcast, but we'll try, we'll try to keep it to the essence uh, as we go through today. So t- tell me the, the essence. What's the beginning of this whole process as you look at this idea of lead from the future and really getting to, to vision as such a critical principle?
1: Well, Boyd. I mean, uh, the the main principle that I think is the antidote to all the short-sightedness that goes around—not just in business, but in government and nonprofits and society. I think as the world's become, using an army term, more VUCA—more volatile, uncertain, and complex and ambiguous—and certainly COVID nineteen has made that even more more real. We tend as human beings to just hunker down and, and focus on the here and now and and plan out from today. And while there is obviously an important piece to how we live day to day of living in the present, we're missing out on what we can learn from the future. And we can indeed learn from the future in terms of what trends and other things inform about the five to 10 year horizon in the case of COVID even in the next couple of years. So the whole point of starting this book and how it tied to our work in innovation was with vision, In a vision that's more than just a simple statement, we can talk about that, vision helps bring an organization its purpose, its hope, its inspiration, and its perspective that allows for it to be able to start planning and developing things, planting seeds for the future while at the same time addressing the here and now. So vision was a mechanism for really trying to enable longer-term thinking that's so essential to keep us ahead of things like the pandemic, not to say that we could have stopped it, but some anticipation of it, I think, could have been to our, to our benefit had we been able to really drive as a society and the government and business to look further ahead.
0: I, I think that's so critical, and, and again, especially in a crisis, vision is just so essential because it, it, it's just so easy, and I, I see this everywhere, where you have people who just get into that hunker down and we're just going to survive today and we're maybe we'll think about tomorrow, tomorrow. You look at it more from a historic perspective of, look, it's it's those who decide to lean into the stiff wind of, of the crisis uh, where most of the great breakthroughs, breakwiths, innovation, and, and legendary organization actually happen.
1: That's exactly right. I mean, the storied, you know, sort of the storied... Uh Narrative about Steve Jobs and Apple, and when he came back to Apple having left the company he co founded in uh, the late 90s, it wasn't there long after when the dot com crash happened. And even before the dot com crash, Apple was facing a lot of headwinds in terms of its niche high end personal computer. Many were saying it was going to commoditize. So the combination of that and the crisis, in spite of all of that. Sort of uh, negative news and pressure um, on the here and now, he used that as an opportunity with his top lieutenants to look out 10 years. And basically, through the vision of what was called a digital hub going past the computer, enabled Apple to transform. From a computer company really to a consumer electronics company. Mm. And it was that vision and it was that ability even in the time of crisis. And I, I mentioned in the book, you know, to your point about being historical, you know, we know of these visionary leaders and many of them were sort of etched into their fame and into their reputation as demonstrating vision in, in times of real darkness, mm-hmm. like Winston Churchill, you know, inspiring the British. You know times during the worst times of World War II and Nelson Mandela and what he led for the resistance to apartheid, you know we have a whole number of visionaries. Our own FDR, during the times of both the, the depression and, the, and World War II, it was the aspect of their visionary thinking and leading that was critical along with the practicality of, of actually mobilizing people and resources to, to address the crisis at hand.
0: Uh, I just love that. I uh, I'm always looking back. I, I kind of have this framing of the uh, the past is a present for our future. And uh, was going through with my son the other day uh, and looking at we actually went back to the old classic Think and Grow Rich, you know, which was a 1937 publication date on that. And uh, but it was interesting. Uh, Napoleon Hill said that you know we're coming out of this economic crisis. And the world has changed and we need people with vision who are going to give us new ideas, new literature, new marketing, new products, you know, new opportunities. It even said new radio. So, uh, you know, even in in 1937. But again, all of those, uh, as you mentioned, uh, Lincoln and and Churchill and FDR, uh, they were all leaning into that stiff wind and, and having a vision of where they were going to lead following the crisis.
1: Absolutely. And, you you know, and I think just tying it, you know, to to practicality of vision, you know, and especially in our work that we do with corporations, to make this actually tangible and real for leaders and organizations, we prescribe this vision is not just a corporate vision statement tied with a mission statement that's done as a half-day exercise, and maybe you're doing it it now. (laughs) It's taking and developing a true narrative about Mm. what could and should be You know, coming out the other end and, um, you know, putting it tied to where the environment is going and how you can fit in that environment, not only to be in it, but to actually shape in it. We like to use the analogy of Wayne Gretzky, who talked about as a hockey player, my success is because I skate not where the puck is but where the puck is going we take it one step further and say you know not only skate to where you think the puck is going but but look out so that you can help shape where the puck should go yeah and oh. and i think you know there's a great quote um i forgot the gentleman's name but he said futures can't be predicted but they can be invented i think that's a powerful way to think about this whole point of the importance of vision, especially in in the time when we're going to deal with so many things that are going to fundamentally change in the not-too-distant future, and, and how are we going to prepare for that? And, and take it to our benefit as as individuals, as members in a business, or in a a nonprofit organization, or as a society as a whole.
0: I love that. The future can be invented. I I think that is just fantastic. One of the things that you mention in the book uh, that I want our listeners to really grab on, and this is one of those I'm I'm throwing out as a as a triple dog dare to our podcast listeners today, and that is you you suggest that we need to be spending ten to twenty percent of our time. Uh, really, dealing with that vision, that essence that creating that narrative and and I would just add i whether that 's with a business, an organization, a family, or your your personal organization, you know the most important meetings you 're ever going to have are the ones with yourself. Give us a little drill down on that, so ten to twenty percent of our time focusing on envisioning the future, what does that look like
1: Sure, well, one, the importance of it is the the ten to twenty percent of the time is is putting yourself in a, in a whole different, as we talked about, way of thinking, but it's also kind of a different process. So, you know, where our typical day, you know, and I'm speaking in large measure to leaders and management teams and, you know, in, within an organization, they may spend that with what we would call a lot of operate and execute activities, you know, reviewing budgets, reviewing operations of different sorts. It's very much a fast-paced, give me information, let me make decisions, and again, that's going to be a big piece of your time, and, and nobody's arguing with the urgency of so much of that. But there's a difference between urgent and vital, and there's a vital piece, which is to be able to look and discern ahead information and understanding that you can start putting in place to plan ahead. And that 10 to 20% is not operate and execute. The learning mode there is to open up the mind to explore and to envision the art of the possible and then develop what needs to be done today, almost some of it in an experimental form to discover what things are true about what you envision and what things, you know, don't pan out and how you can adjust. So that 10 to 20 percent has to be carved out because it's about creating the space to be able to define what things could be and what things should be and start to develop a point of view, you know, and that point of view can be very powerful. You know, I have a colleague who's a futurist who says you want to try to develop a foresight, which then can lead to an insight, which then leads to a, a course of action. And he says that once you have that insight, this is Bob Johansson from the Institute of the Future, you can never go back. And so that's the key, is to use that time to develop some insight that it get incorporated with the, the things that you have to do for the here and now. Again, it's this difference between what's really urgent, what's really vital, and we suffer from the tyranny of the urgent and and this looking at least for part of our time to look ahead to be forward looking to develop a vision well it may never be urgent and that's the problem we find that it's vital because without it you're not prepared to make those course changes that you need to make, which need to start today in order to be ready for how they're going to ultimately be realized a couple of years or more
0: in the future. Uh, that is, uh, those are powerful, powerful principles. I want to come back to those in just a second in terms of kind of next steps and how you take that vision and start walking it back and, and getting it into the, the here and now. But before we go on on that portion, I, I want to back up just a, a a little bit, and I, I think your your background and uh, the things that you've done around the world in terms of really helping organizations, you know, create cultures of of change and growth and renewal. I want to spend just a, a minute on on two things. One, I want to talk about your relationship uh, with Clayton Christensen, who uh, we lost way too soon. Just a a quick reflection there on his influence as a visionary, as a thinker who changed so many organizations and so many individuals.
1: Uh, You know, it's hard to not get emotional, Um, you know, talking about Clay because, uh, you know, he changed my life professionally and personally. Um, He was a dear friend and obviously a colleague. We co-founded our firm together in, in 2000, so 20 years ago. He introduced me to his faith along with, and I became part of that, along with um all the things that we did professionally. And he was a visionary, and I dedicated the book to him in the sense that, you know, he took the principles of disruptive innovation and said that this was good theory that could help make predictions about how things should work and what that would mean in the future. And what I particularly loved about, you know, him as an individual in the work was it wasn't just about, you know, helping companies be profitable, but it was helping them be sustainable and making the world a better place. You know, the whole work of disruption that we continue to do together, you know, the focus more became about how do you not only democratize products and services, but how do you empower people to, to grow and flourish? And that, in fact, was one of his later books that I'm sure many in your audience has read, but his book on how will you measure your life. And, um, you know, it's really the application of the power of um, helping individuals achieve better outcomes. And this book is is meant to try to further that that work by, you know, the long-term perspective is is part of the enablement. The long-term perspective of the vision is part of the enablement Of being able to get outside of just traditional ways of doing things, but being able to do for the positive, these disruptive innovations that that actually help the world become a better place.
0: I appreciate you sharing that, Mark. And uh, a lot of us have have felt uh, you know that uh, absence of of Clayton christensen's presence, but I think we've all realized that he through his principles and teachings he he infused so much of himself into everyone who ever heard or listened or read uh what he created or participated with him in any kind of uh, uh engagement he has gone through that disruptive innovation uh of death, but uh, that's he knows that's part of the program and moving us all forward continually and, and just a, a really powerful thing. I, I appreciate you sharing that. I wanted to get a little bit on, on your background, Mark, for our listeners to get some interesting insight. I think as you look at uh, you know your, your theory and your focus here on leading from the future, I got to figure out how did you go from a uh, degree in aerospace engineering from the United States Naval Academy <laughs> to, to having these kind of conversations with Clayton Christensen. That's a that's a, a, a leap to the future for sure
1: well and it also shows uh, Boyd, I think part of it is we definitely can be more forward-looking and and use that to guide to guide us but there's there's also always going to be an emerging part of emergent part of our our lives and and emergent part of organizations and you know it's sort of marrying them two together I will just say you, you know and part of it is is the work of sharing the concepts of the book that i you come to learn more about you know these things about yourself as you answer these questions and i hadn't thought about it before until you know being on a few podcasts and interviews my mom was an opera singer so she had a very artistic side to her needless to say mezzo soprano and sang for a whole bunch of different Mm -hmm. uh opera companies. And my dad was a pilot. He was a former World War II pilot and Korea pilot and um, engineer, mathematically oriented. I feel like I got a little bit of a combination because I went to the Naval Academy, was very much in engineering. But I always think I had a creative and imaginative uh, sort of design side to me as well. And so long story short is when I decided to leave the Navy for various reasons in the nuclear power program, I really liked aspects in business around just general management, but also innovation. And when I went to Harvard Business School and met Clay, that got me into the innovation space as a student. And then we stayed in touch. And long story short is we came together and to to form InnoCite. And and my view, you know, that sort of comes through in the book is, you know, vision is in many ways the art. It's the storytelling. It's Mm -hmm. the creative power of anything of visioning an enterprise or envisioning a new product or service or business or opportunity but then you have to change from a storyteller and an imaginative person to an engineer and convert that into choices that you have to make in in a portfolio of initiatives we would call it and so in the book you know I kind of combine what does it mean to be a storyteller and then how do you shift to an engineer to actually program ideas into the organization and actually make them happen, and so I don't know if that fully answers the yeah. question, but, but basically, you know, that's how it kind of came all together for right. me, both in working with Clay and in developing the book.
0: Oh, I, I love that, and, uh, and that leads us right into where I want to go next in terms of how do we actually apply this. You and your uh, co author, uh, Josh uh, Suskowitz, you, you go through this concept of, I, I love this idea of the practical visionary. Too often, I think uh, visionaries get a bad rap of head in the clouds, you know, blue sky, shoot the moon, possibility stuff, but uh, we got to have some practicality to it. Uh, I think it was T.E. Lawrence who, who called them dreamers of the day. Uh, the, the dreamers of the day are the dangerous ones because they actually make their dreams a reality. And so you use it in the in the term in the book, you use the term future back. So give us some of that uh, reverse engineering from the vision to how do we actually make it happen?
1: Well, future back has two parts to it. One is the way of thinking, and then it's the actual process. On um, the way of thinking, as we've been talking about it, it's really having the opportunity for a moment to break free of the past and the present and to imagine what could be in the future, you know, without too much dependency on the way things work here and now. It isn't to say that you don't bring certain expertise and principles and, and capabilities from the way things work today, but but you're really trying to bring yourself into the future and uh, develop, you know, a clear point of view, you know, in our business terms, we would say of markets of the future and the in the role that your organization can play in that new and different world. So you're really trying to form, you know, kind of a vivid system level understanding, you know, of the organization as opposed to just a simple statement. So that's one aspect of future back is to is to clean sheet, you know, to think systemically, to think more than just a statement, but to imagine how the future could be like Steve Jobs imagining beyond just a personal computer to what he called a digital hub and these consumer electronics. The other part of future back you know, beyond this design clean sheet kind of thinking is the literal process of walking back, you know, starting, it's this classic starting with the end in mind and working backwards. You start 10 years out, you begin to think about what that vision could be. And then you, te- you walk back in increments and say, if 2030, this is what we need to look like, Then in 2028, we have to have these things in place and we need to look like this. And if we're going to achieve 2030 and then so forth, you go back to 2026. And so that literal walking back from the future to what you would do today creates a more, a better understanding of what's really needed than if you had done it from today out. And this especially matters when you're trying to think about the new and different. Of what needs to be in place in the future, not just extending what you have today in your core business, which or your core operations, which no one is arguing that you wouldn't keep doing that as well. It's just a matter of how do you do both.
0: I, I had one question for you on uh, there's there's one component in terms of of this future back. Uh, you talked about clean sheeting and and how that forces you to really get to the specifics there. What are the Wonderful byproducts of following this kind of process and vision is you talk in the book in terms of it helps you decide what to invest in. And I think for a lot of our listeners, that may not necessarily be just an investment of of dollars and cents. It may be a, an investment of time or emotion as you're, as you're either leading yourself or leading a group. We, we often think of investments strictly in dollars, uh, but there's a lot of things we ask people to invest in, and vision is one of those, right? No, it,
1: it's absolutely true. You know, we, we talk a lot about the term resource allocation that ultimately – what leaders do um, in organizations is they're ultimately responsible to allocate precious resources. And those resources is just not dollars. You know, it's people's time, you know, people's as a resource and it's management's time. Uh, It's people's time and it's people's expenditure of energy. And really what you're trying to do is, is be more thoughtful about how you invest precious time and people and money to things that, you know, that aren't going to pay off immediately today, um, but are going to be critically vital for the future. And being able to get a greater insight about why you would make a decision to take some of that precious management time and and dollars and people and carve it out, uh, that ability to stay the course with that carve out of resources is why we talk about vision so much and planning further out and walking it back. Because the way it's often done today is, you know, many companies and organizations will, will have an instinct that they've got to prepare to do things beyond their core way of doing things. But they only think about it kind of pushing from the present to the, to yeah. the future. And by doing that, they don't really have that Story that narrative that point of view that kind of helps stay the course with with the time it takes for new and different initiatives to to work their way through and grow and scale into something that's you know that's very meaningful for the organization.
0: Yeah, I love that. Want to hit just a couple of of, of quick hitters uh, here and and, sure. and just have you take us through this concept. In the, uh, one of the concepts is is that you have to be prepared to learn and pivot. Uh, how does vision help you to do that? in a rapidly changing environment?
1: Well, I, I would think about it as three pieces. So one is the learn and pivot component of how this works. The other is the actual initiatives and things that, that you actually would be learning about that you do today. And then the third is the vision piece that we talked about. The vision is the North Star. It's the, it's the inspiration and the hope of the organization it's the direction that you want to go, and you know it. And yes, like in the COVID crisis, we're going to deal with turbulent waters for the next year or two. Um, but that should that should inform your vision, but it shouldn't overtake your vision. Should go past that, and so the vision piece gets developed as a point of view. You know, in, in more than the statement that I said, you walk that back through making choices in the future, and then walking it back to the choices you make today. But you're not done with either the vision or the things that you're going to do today, both for the core business, but then also for the new and different. The the operative word is learning and rapid learning. You have to take these initiatives, and especially for new growth, you have to be in an experimentation mode. You want to spend a little to learn a lot. You want to be focused on what's working, what's not working, and rapidly decide to shut down what's not working so you can then focus on the things that are working. And as you move this whole concept forward in time, you know, as we actually go forward in time, you're going to learn things and you're going to, you're going to shape this vision. It's not a one and done. That's the other piece of this. This is not an exercise you do once every five years. Once you develop a compelling, practical vision, the organization, the leadership should be reviewing this every, you know, now it would be every few weeks because things are happening fast, but at least once a quarter, it's revisiting and saying, what have we learned? How does that influence what we're prioritizing today, both for our here and now and for our future? And how do we need to adjust our vision as as we gain, you know, more insights and, and our future comes in touch with reality of today?
0: Yeah, oh, uh, absolutely love that. Therefore, what? Well, Mark, we're to the point of the program now where we ask the uh, main point of the program, the therefore what? Uh, People have been listening for 25 minutes here and uh, have been given some wonderful things. What's the therefore what uh, takeaway? What do you hope people think different? What do you hope they do different after listening to this podcast today?
1: I would hope that we'd have a permanent change in the way that we think about how we lead organizations and, for that matter, how we lead our lives that we're in a place where the world is moving faster. You know, it's back to volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous, the army term VUCA. And, and with that world, we can never, no longer afford to just be living in the here and now. We need to make a permanent change in our culture and our leadership, which means we need to, for once and for all, be forward-looking, have a way to be forward-looking, have it a part of our lives, in addition to what we have to do in the day-to-day Because if we're not anticipating, you know, not just things that slowly change, but things that disrupt, just like this pandemic, we're not going to be as well prepared as we could be. And we're not going to create the sustainability for our world and for us as individuals. The world just happens to have too many uncertainties and too many things that happen too fast. So that's my plea for all of us is that we can combine being forward-looking, being visionary, and being practical about it, not just for a few select people, with the realities that we have to live in the here and now and we have to operate and execute day to day.
0: Fantastic. Mark Johnson, uh, author of Lead from the Future, How to Turn Visionary Thinking into Breakthrough Growth. This is one of those books that is not a single read. This is one you go back to regularly uh, that can help you have impact personally, in your family, in your community, states, nations, organizations. Uh, this is one for the ages. Mark, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Boyd. Remember, after the story is told, after the principle is presented, after the discussion and debate have been had, the question for all of us is, therefore what? Don't miss an episode. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening today. And be sure to rate this episode and leave us a review. Follow us on desertnewscom slash TW and subscribe to our newsletter. This is Boyd Matheson, opinion editor for the Deseret News. Thanks for engaging with us on Therefore What?